Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael continues in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with part 2 of a message titled, Restoration. God says of Israel, specifically Judah, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the waters. It was fruitful, full of branches because of abundant waters. And it had strong branches fit for scepters of rulers, and its height was raised above the clouds so that it was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But it was plucked up in fury. It was cast down to the ground. And the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was torn off so that it withered and the fire consumed it. And now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Ezekiel 19, 10 through 14. And fire has gone out from its branches. It has consumed its shoots and fruit so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule, This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. And the nation of Israel takes center stage, not only in the Old Testament, but in these gospel stories. And Jesus is sending a message to anyone who will listen. If you want life, if you want to be a tree that is blossoming, if you want to be like that tree planted by streams of water who bears fruit in its season and whatever it does prospers, if you don't want to be like the wicked who are like chaff and produce no fruit, then plug in and find life in Jesus. Well, here's the, the synagogue is the location. The, the camera has panned to this man with a withered hand And there is the Messiah right there. He says he gives living water. He says to the woman at the well, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. He's talking about life, true life. In John chapter seven, he says, a person who believes in him out of his innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water will flow in and flow out. In the next uh, section in John chapter eight, a woman who's dry, and broken is caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders, and this is what the law says. What do you say? And he, in that famous scene, he begins to write in the ground. And he may be acting out Jeremiah 17, 13, and 14 when it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, Jeremiah 17, 13, and 14. And then Jeremiah says, listen to these words, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. But many of the religious leaders who were there that day were not looking for the Bible to read them. They were watching Jesus. Mark 3, verse 2 says, and they were watching him. Watching him. The word watching is para tereo. It means to inspect insidiously. 
in a beguiling or evil way, expecting something wrong. It means to be scrupulously looking for that which is wrong or a way to accuse. The religious leaders were basically like this. Jesus, we're watching you. We're going to see if you do anything wrong here. And if they planted the man with the withered hand, think about it, that means they knew that Jesus had the power to heal. How sad. Let's just wait until he heals somebody because we know how good he is and he's going to heal somebody. When he heals somebody, then we'll accuse him. What? They're going to accuse him for good things. Wouldn't it be nice if it was said of us that when people followed us around all day long, they would be able to accuse us of good things that we do instead of not so good things? And there's Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, we're watching. Let's just wait to see if he heals somebody. Look, if you've gotten to this point in your spiritual life where your spiritual world is defined by looking for everything that's wrong, you better go back and revisit your walk, man. I'm not talking about essentials. I'm not talking about hills we must die on like the deity of Christ and the Trinity and salvation by grace. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a group of people who had gotten so blind that they could not see right in front of them what was beautiful, what was lovely, what was pure, and what was noble. Their hearts were so turned upside down that all they could look for was what was wrong in the one that was the one who distributes living waters. Wow. And here's Jesus, and they're watching to see if he would heal him. And here's the word on what? On the Sabbath. In order that they might accuse him, they were watching him closely with their broken, hardened hearts. They were those dry trees. They were in desperate need of restoration, but they couldn't see it. It's much more comfortable when you can just read a story in the Bible and you don't have to put yourself in it. When you can be the judge of that story. How many of you were here for last Sunday for Charlie Campbell's presentation on seven evidences why the Bible is divine rather than human in origin? After that presentation, do you really have any doubt that we're dealing with the word of God here? I think some of the skeptics, I think a large portion of the skeptics like to try to judge the Bible, thereby they think they won't be judged by it themselves. It's easier to comment on it and pick it apart rather than say, Lord, let it read me. Let the Bible judge me instead of me judging the Bible. But it's a much more comfortable position to be in to call yourself a theologian who nitpicks at everything that you think is potentially wrong. And here's these men, and they are lost. They're waiting to accuse him, and they have added so much tradition, so much tradition has been piled on the backs of people, they can't even move on the Sabbath day. Go to Luke's gospel. Luke is just the next book to the right. Chapter 13, here's a story that symbolizes the whole deal, and I think Jesus purposely healed on the Sabbath just to rattle their cage, which is something I very much like about Jesus personally. Luke 13, verse 10 Jesus, Luke 13, 10, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. By the way, this is being recorded by a medical doctor. Luke 13, 11, she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. 
And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, that is to the healing, there are six days in which work should be done, therefore come during them and get healed. But not, this is sad, not on the Sabbath day. This is church, man. All right, you people, you've got six other days to get this stuff done. Wait, wait a minute. There's a woman, 18 years, she's been living like this. She's made erect again, and what does the guy say? Hey, don't you people have homes? <laughs> What's going on here? And she's a picture of the nation. Bent down, weighed over by man-made religious and tradition, and now set free by the Messiah. Do you have a weight on your back right now? Have you, put, have you piled that stuff on yourself, you know, believing that you had to be good enough to please God? Look, these people, they had all these burdens on their back, and the rabbis even said they didn't object to healing on the Sabbath day. They said, whenever there is doubt whether life is in danger, this overrides the Sabbath, according to some Jewish writings. But if it wasn't life-threatening, they felt like it should be done on another day. And Jesus said, if one of you has an animal and that animal falls into the pit on the Sabbath day, will you go get the animal out? And the answer is yes. But you'll leave a man or a woman there on the Sabbath just because it's the Sabbath day. See, the Sabbath is about rest. Oration. It's about reconnecting with God. It's about having that life in you that is truly life. And I don't know about you, but for me, I was the person in the pit that Jesus pulled out and pulled me to rest and life. I celebrate that every day of my life. Where would you and I be if he didn't stop and pull us out? He didn't say, hey, hey, wait till tomorrow. Sorry, but there's, a, there's something in the law that says we... I know your ankle's broken, but it's not going to kill you. You'll be all right. <laughs> what? No, if you're the one down in that pit, what are you saying? Lord, now don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. And the essence of the law, 613 commandments and subcommandments go down to be codified in 10 commandments and then ultimately go down to two commandments. And they are, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If the law is guiding you, oh yeah. What greater thing could you do on a Sabbath day than extend a hand of restoration? Amen? Sometimes we get caught in these, these things that this is what we do on this day that sometimes we can miss that Jesus came to lift people's burdens and give us rest. You see, the deeper symbolism is here right before us. Back to Mark, and we'll finish it up. So he says to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. Now, so far, he's just been kind of a guy that's there. Now, all of a sudden, he's called to come forward, and that's really what's happening with the nation. They're asking to rise and come to Jesus. Will they listen? Well, the man does it. And he said to them, and this is a question they had asked of him in another gospel, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To do harm. To save a life or to kill it? 
But they, I'm sure they were looking at each other, kept silent. How do we answer? I don't know. I don't know. Shh. Shh. And so all of a sudden, the man comes forward. And after looking around at all of them, waiting apparently for a response, he says to the man in Luke's gospel, this is chapter 6, verse 10, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. How does a man with a withered hand, broken hand, stretch it out? How do you do that? By faith. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. You know, you might have an area of your life that's broken right now, and you're saying, Lord, I don't even know how, how do I get to you? How do I find restoration in you? It's beautiful that the word, his hand was restored, is the same verb in the Old Testament to save, and it's used in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew uh, uh, translation of the Greek, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, And the word is used in the Septuagint for the restoration of Israel. Listen to these verses. David prays, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Psalm 60 verse one says, thou has been angry, O restore us. Psalm 80 verse three says, O God, restore us and cause thy face to shine upon us and we will be saved. This cry is repeated in Psalm 80 verse seven and Psalm 80 verse 19. And Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching to a largely Jewish crowd, said, Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration. And the man's life with a withered hand about to be restored is a picture of a coming time called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and the world's gonna get new heavens and a new earth and death is gonna die in the resurrection and people who were once broken will be restored again and that's our future, praise the Lord. And I was in a class this last week at Cesar Chavez. I have fourth through seventh graders so their ages are about nine, 10 years old all the way up to like 13 And so we did pizza, and I had like 23 kids in the class, and they're pretty fired up, and they've had cheese and pepperoni, and they started firing Bible questions, and the subject was the second coming of Christ and the resurrection. And for like 20 minutes, these kids are firing incredible, theologically deep questions about how the resurrection body's going to work, and what age will we be? And I said, I think, uh, I'm hoping 18, and and, and (laughs) hoping 6'2", 175, but so... And so this one kid, a little kid named Diego, pretty new to the class, he said, Pastor, I have a question. He said, my, my brother's been reading the Bible to me, and we were reading in Genesis, and we we're back in the garden, and, and they're telling me that when everything's restored, it's going to go back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Is that true? And I said, well, I think so, because the Tree of Life's mentioned in Revelation 21, 22, and yeah, Eden's going to be restored. And he said, I just have one question then. Are we going to be naked 
And there was, there was all of a sudden everyone in that classroom, boom. Everybody, attention on Pastor Michael. And I said, Diego, I sure hope there's going to be clothes. <laughs> That's not, I'm going to pray about that now. <laughs> wow. If a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. His law is love. If you were ever going, if you're wrestling with something right now, you're ever going to try to figure out, well, which side should I lean? Look, if you always fail on the side of love, I'd rather fail there than on the side of law. And so the man stretched out his hand. Do you see the nation, the broken people within it? Maybe you see your own life. Maybe you see the, the face of a friend, someone you've been praying for. I see in this even Michelangelo's famous painting on the Sistine Chapel that it's the hand of God reaching down to the hand of man and life is breathed in. I mean, what's that moment like when a man with a withered, dried up, hand and perhaps life to go with it can extend it to the living Messiah. Well, the man is going to do just that, but let's look at what Jesus' response is in verse five. It says, and after looking around at them, Mark 3, 5, with anger, Jesus was angry. He asked them, is it lawful? Should I heal or I kill? And he looked around, and the question was lingering over the room, and the man was there, and Jesus was angry. There is such a thing in the Bible, by the way, as righteous anger. It's not righteous if your favorite team's losing, and you begin to speak to the television about the coaching deficiencies that you see. That's not righteous. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Righteous anger, seeing something that's wrong and evil, and saying, look, it's right to be angry. If, if you're not angry in the face of evil, there's something wrong with you. This anger that you see in Mark 3, verse 5, is the anger of God. You want to know what makes God angry? Hardened, calloused hearts. That's what makes him angry. But his anger was, it was there, and it was, it's orge in Greek. It's violent passion. It speaks of uh, anger or wrath or indignation. Jesus was angry. And the Bible says it's you know, you might have anger, but just don't let, what, the sun go down on your anger. I heard, uh, I think it's uh, Gary Smalley's son was on Focus on the Family, and he said, one of the worst pieces of advice we've ever given married couples is that in the heat of an angry exchange, and by the way, married couples, here's a little secret, they do fight sometimes. I'm not talking about physical fighting. If that's going on in your household, we have counseling, we need to talk, I am talking about sometimes you disagree in a marriage relationship. And some of the counsel has been, well, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we can talk about what that means, but it means deal with it sooner than later. But if you try to work it out in the heat of anger, you say, we read a book, and that book says we have to work it out now. <laughs> you know what happens in those exchanges? You start moving into ancestry <laughs> and there's barbs that are going back and forth. It's getting worse and worse and worse. 
You go back to the previous decades when they took the last cookie and things are wrong and why? And, and the, one of the best things that you can do in those moments of anger, if you know it's going nowhere good, is call a timeout. You know, even adults need timeouts. And if you fight fair, and here's a very important thing, married couples who made a covenant in their marriage to Jesus Christ, before Jesus Christ, you can fight fair. I will tell you publicly, my wife is on the front row. She can confirm this. We have a wonderful marriage, but sometimes we have spats, a marital spat. We don't always get along. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is break for a moment and begin to look at our hearts individually because it ain't working collectively. You know what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? That's a little manna humor for you to pick it up. Anyway, so, so you take a, a time out, and here's a key. Look into your heart and ask yourself this question. What is the source of my anger? Why am I mad right now? Is it because I'm not getting my way? Is it because I'm dissatisfied with something? Is it, is it I don't even know what we are fighting about? Help me, Lord. If you can get a little introspective and say, Lord, what's the source of my anger? And then notice that Jesus was also grieved, sulopeo in Greek. It means he was filled with sorrow and anger at the same time. Let's take it out of the realm of marriage and take it into normal everyday life. Let's say you have a coworker, a family member, whatever, and, and someone is under your skin and you're angry. And every time you think of that person, anger, boiling over on the stove. <laughs> You're thinking of responses or what you could have said in that last exchange. I could have right there. Mm, I could have, but I. You need to be healed. And one of the things that is here is that Jesus was angry and grieved. And here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes if you can step back and depersonalize that situation you might find that you feel some sorrow for that person. You might say, Lord, that person is angry at everybody and everything. This isn't about me. How about you turn what you might want to do and sin in your own mind and all that stuff and you turn it into prayer for that person? How about if you said, Lord, I feel sorry for that person. I'm grieved over that person's condition and I'm gonna gonna pray for them. See, Jesus was angry and yet grieved. What, what was the issue? At their hardness of heart, they were calloused. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, which means it was reconstituted to the health of its former state. Pretty cool. What do you think the man did for a while there? Yeah. <laughs> do you think if there was another worship song that played, his hands were up? Do you think he went around town saying, hey? <laughs> no words. Someone might say, who did that? Oh, let me tell you. There's a Messiah named Jesus. And he takes parched, dried up, broken people like me. And I don't know if Jesus touched his hand back. I don't know if the, the interlocked. It may be that he just spoke the word here. That's what the text seems to say. His word is sufficient, which would also mean that he didn't do any work. Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath. All he did was say, stretch out your hand. And it's restored. And the Pharisees went out 
and immediately began to take counsel with the Herodians, who were a political party in league with the Herods, hated by the Pharisees, but now because they hated Jesus, they got in league with those who they hated, the Herodians, against him as to how they might destroy him. Luke 6.11 says, they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. What, Jesus. what made Jesus angry and sorrowful was people's hardness of heart. What made the religious people angry or their leaders was that he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. That reveals something about the heart. And so here Jesus heals the man and now becomes a further enemy of the religious leaders. And I close with this as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare to hand out the elements. Are you connected to the one who brings life this morning? Madeline Murray O'Hare, whose diaries were just released to the public, Ravi Zacharias is preaching this morning. She's the infamous atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, trying to get prayer out of schools and so forth. She wrote three times in her diary that's become public. These words, three times. Would someone, somewhere, please love me? Would someone, somewhere, please love me? Mark chapter 3, Jesus in the synagogue. And we see that as a faithful Jew, he was in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There was a man that was used as a pawn by the hierarchy of the temple priests and such. He needed physical healing. These men stood there and watched Jesus to see what he was going to do. If he was going to perhaps heal this man or because of the Sabbath day, ignore him. What Jesus did is that he looked at these men in anger because of their hardness of hearts. It's, it's amazing that the Bible says something that Jesus showed some kind of emotion. But here it's anger. I would hate to be the recipient of that look. But because of their hardness of hearts, um, he went ahead and healed this man. He healed this man. All he, did, he didn't even touch him. He just said, you know, stretch out your hand, and he was healed. And these men tried to find another way to kill him. Why was Jesus angry with these men? It's an interesting combination, Oscar, because it's actually anger mixed with grief. And uh, I, I think when you see evil, um, you can often feel anger and have grief mixed with it. And, uh, you know, what he was grieved about is their hardness of hearts. I, I think of when, you know, they uh, approached Jesus about divorce and he said, Moses allowed for this because of the hardness of your hearts. And so the real issue, which you mentioned before we came on the air, was not really their lack of knowledge of the scriptures or the Sabbath, uh, although they had added all kinds of man-made rules to it. The, the real issue was they were being confronted with pure holiness. They, they were being confronted with the Messiah, God the Son. And somehow, rather than following him and heeding his words, they tried to destroy him. And it became a signal of where they were. He is who he is, right? And, and he, he, he is a light to anyone who will be willing to come to that light. But they, they uh, ran away from that light. And he exposed them for the darkness that was in their hearts. And, and what there was was callousness. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona 
or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.